Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensah, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensah is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. If these pillars are not taken seriously, irrespective of how it seems that we are growing, time will soon betray us. So we have clear example in Judges chapter 16. When Samson, the last thing he did before he died, he asked them to let him feel the pillars in the temple. And when he succeeded breaking the two pillars by which the dragon temple was brewed upon, the whole temple packed with people fell. And that brought the collapse of the temple. So a lot of us, if we don't also take these pillars seriously and they collapse, then it means that the entirety of our spiritual life is collapsing because our pillars are collapsing. And it's my prayer that God will help us. Amen. So today we are coming to look at the eighth growth pillar, the ninth one, and the tenth one. And want to look at how it will help us to achieve maturity in Christ Jesus. So the first one I'm taking is stewardship. The first, the next pillar, the eighth one I'm taking is stewardship. Stewardship. The goal of this is to let us know that everything we are and what we have is a gift from God and we should develop that attitude. It's easy to call myself, I want to do what I want to do. To call my car, my house, my job, my this, my this, my this. Where even in our attempt to be more humble, we are more proud than in our attempt for the humility. I had a story about a pastor who labored so much by the grace of God to put a very beautiful auditorium. And his colleague pastor came to visit him. So he went around and he showed that this is the children's uh, chapel. And the friend would say, whoa, the Lord is good. Then they went to the main auditorium, said, this is the main auditorium. And the friend said, oh, the Lord is good. Then they went to every part, and his friend would keep on saying, oh, the Lord is good. Oh, the Lord is good. And the pastor turned and looked at his friend and said, if you are saying the Lord is good, please add that through me. <laughs> so in as much as he wanted to be stated that the Lord is good, he wanted to be that it is through me. But according to the scripture, Bible said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, that godliness with contentment is a great gain. And it said, we brought nothing to the world, and it is certain that we take nothing out of the world. Therefore, if we have food and clothes, we should be grateful. 
In Job chapter 1 from verse 20 and 21, we all knew the calamity that befell Job. But Bible said Job torn his robe, he shaved his head, then he fell and worshipped and said, Naked I came and naked I will go. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken. Let his name be blessed. He has captivated the attitude that whatever I am and whatever I have is a gift from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7, Bible said, what do you have that you have not received? In John chapter 3 from verse 27, John the Baptist said, a man can receive nothing except what is given to him from above. So we have gotten to the point in the century that people can even question God about what he's doing and what he's doing with their life. But the first thing every Christian should develop as well as stewardship is concerned is that your very life is a gift. You are owned by someone. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, he said he created all things by his will and they were created for his pleasure. In Psalm 100 verse 3, he said that we should know that the Lord is God. He made all things and we are his, his people and the sheep of his pasture. So we are made by God and we are the sheep of his pasture. We are owned by him. So, Bible tried to break different aspects of humanity and point out that every aspect is owned by God. In Numbers chapter 16 verse 22, Moses and Aaron fell and said, God, the God of the spirit of mankind. So, he's called the God of your spirit. In Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 27, Jeremiah said, the word of God came to Jeremiah and said, you are the Lord of all flesh. So he is the God of your flesh. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 9, it said that we respect our earthly fathers. How much more should we not submit to the father who is the father of our spirit and our lives? So he's called the father of our spirit and the father of our lives. In Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4, Bible said, Behold, every soul is mine. The soul of the Father and the soul of the Son. The soul that sin, that soul will die. So we are our soul, our body, our spirit belong to God. Every part of that is a gift from Him. He breathed unto man and man became a living soul. So what any time you wake up and you can feel your body, you can feel your spirit. You can feel your soul. Remember that you've gotten in contact with the gift of God. You are a gift as you are seated. Not only you are a gift. Your very sustenance, your ability to live with the gift God gave you as your body. That one too is a gift. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19 says that if God has given man everything, and he has given him food to eat and ability to enjoy. He should know that this one too is a gift from God. Even to have and to enjoy it is still a gift from God. So a Christian must know that by the reason of creation, everything about me is a gift. 
and must know that my ability to live and to watch about is a gift. In fact, Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says that in him we live, in him we walk, and in him we have our being. So if you are walking, you are walking in him. If you are living, you are living in him. Your very being is found in him. So by the reason of creation, God has the legitimate right to call you his own. You can rebel against it because you know science. You can rebel against it because you are a gender activist. You can rebel against it because you've grown beyond the scripture. But you can go high, come down, dig the grave and enter. The fact will not change. You, are, you belong to God entirely. That is not enough. He moved ahead to get a second ownership of you as a Christian because you are bought with the blood of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 5, from verse 9 and 10, he said he was worthy and to be worshipped as a lamb because with his blood he bought men from every nation. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul told the elders in the church of Ephesus, he said, take care of yourself and the flock whom the Holy Spirit made you overseer. And he said he bought it with his blood. In First Corinthians chapter six, verse twenty, it said you were bought at a price. In First Corinthians chapter seven, verse twenty-three, it said you were bought at a price. Therefore, do not make yourself slave again. In sorry, First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen, it said it was no true corruptible thing like silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but it was through the precious blood of the Lamb. So every Christian, your being by the reason of the creation, you are owned by God. And a second step is that you are brought by God. Therefore, if we are talking about stewardship, it starts right from your very being. A steward, by definition, is somebody who manages another person's property by which you will be held accountable for it. So, if we possessing that, a Christian is owned by God, by the reason of creation, and by the reason of purchase, then you don't live again. The day you live, then you are really making a mistake. So, Paul got it right. When he said in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, he said, for me to live is Christ. And for me to die is gain. In Romans chapter 14, from verse 7 all the way to 9, he said, no one lived to himself, and no one died to himself. If we die, we die to the Lord. And if we live, we live to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. So by the reason of what God has done, Everything, you are not a manager, you are not a steward, you are not an administrator, by which you give account for it one day. One of the amazing passages in the Bible is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and verse 18. God told the people of Israel that when they go and they get enough harvest, they should not forget that and say to themselves, that my strength and my power made this. Yes, it's true. Your strength made you get a car. Your strength made you get a house. Your strength made you sustain your marriage. It's true. Nobody is disputing. But verse 18 says that you should know that it is God who gives the power to make wealth. 
So even the wealth you are having, Bible is saying that it is God who gives you power to make wealth. So if you look at it, it is not yours. It is God's money in your pocket. It is not your life. It is God's life that you are managing. It is not your spirit. It is God's nature that you are managing. So growth comes when you are able to detach yourself and see yourself as a manager, as an administrator, as a steward of whatever is in your hand. So you live as those you are going to give account for it on the final day. Hallelujah. Now this evening, I want to mention some of the areas that God has entrusted into our life. And we are operating as stewards. If you know, it's like if you are going to write an exam and you are preparing for integrated science. You study all night only to go and they put economics before you. <laughs> you know something is wrong. You know you feel like you go and come out the next year. But if you are going to write the exam and you know the subject you are writing on, it is preparation. So if we say we are steward, I want us to explore some few areas that God made us steward over. Then in our day-to-day conversation, we'll be mindful of those areas. Number one is our body. Number one, our body. Today, people can choose he's a man, but the person says, I don't feel like a man. Therefore, I want to become a woman. And the person is a woman. I don't feel like a woman. I want to become a man. They think they have the right. After all, it's my body. People can drink. After all, it's my body. People can do everything. After all, it's my body. But the first thing I want to mention, that you are a steward, is your body. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Bible says that, don't you know that your body is the temple of God by which he lives with his spirit? And he said, the Lord's temple is sacred and whose house you are. If anyone destroys the temple of God, the Lord too will destroy you. So God is saying that if you de- destroy his temple, he too will destroy you. In the same first Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have the right to even decide what to wear. You don't have the right to even decide what to eat. Somebody bought your body and he has the legitimate right to command you what to wear and know what to wear, what to eat and know what to eat. Because if your body belongs to him. So, Bible says your body is not meant for sexual immorality. But your body is meant for the Lord. So, any other sin a man commits is outside his body. But he who sins sexually belongs to his body. So, there's men and young guys and old men that the, the person is over 60 years. But has gone for a 17 year old girl or 19 year old girl. And the girl is calling the man baby. And the man is happy. 
By this time, you should be called daddy. You are called baby because you've lost your senses that the girls have to address you as baby. So they've lost control over their body. They've forgotten that the body is a trust that should be given. Hallelujah. Number two. Number two. The second thing every Christian should cultivate is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gift. Everybody that is born onto this earth is given one gift or the other. Right from the nature, there are some natural gifts that makes you handsome, that makes you beautiful, that makes you intelligent, that makes you with leadership great and all that. People grow up and they recognize that they have this thing. But they fail to find out the reason for the gift. Somebody like Saul. Bible said when they brought him up, he was a head taller than all Israel. And everybody shouted that this is the king. The height was given to him for a reason. Esther was so beautiful. So when they were looking for a queen, they were looking for a beautiful girl. Some of her colleagues that were that beautiful, they made their GSS headmaster to fall and their SS science teacher to fall by their beauty. So could have chosen to use her beauty for that. But she preserved it and because of that beauty, she became a queen. And a lot of Aitofel, Bible said, when men speak to Aitofel, it was as if you have consulted the oracle of God. He was gifted. But the unfortunate thing is that most of us recognize the gift. You can sing. But you do not find out why did God give me this gift. So after all, you are looking for financial opportunity. So any of the secular person who are ready to promote you, oh yeah, you are gone. God has given you probably a voice that through you, multitude will come to know him. But you are using that song to sing for different things. I could have mentioned a song, but I'm being careful. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. And because of that, the gift of God that is meant to draw human beings closer is not the same song young guys are dancing their way to hell and you are happy. You've forgotten that you are a steward of that gift. Aside the natural gift, every Christian, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 11, Bible said, to each the manifestation of the spirit is given for the edification of us all. And say to one is given word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gift of faith, gift of healing, weapon of miracles, gift of prophecy, speaking in tongue, interpretation of tongue, distinguishing among spirit. And say all this is given by one and the same spirit, distributed to each and everyone as he wills. So the spirit wills that you have word of wisdom. You have word. Some people word of wisdom is what made them a robbers. Because they can think and rob that you will never notice. I remember something I did in the secondary school. That if I remember now, I know that God's gift was used to glorify Satan. My roommate was going for house prophet. And I was his campaign manager. We talk everywhere. I send his name everywhere. But on the final day of the election, that guy 
was actually competing with another guy from my tribe. But because he was my roommate, I relate more with him than my tribe mate. Then the rest of my uh, tribal people came. I thought, are you thinking? Sir, your trima, your trima is going and you are there campaigning. So I decided that I was not going to vote for him. After I've campaigned for him all this while. And they were voting class by class. And I also showed that if I had not voted for him, he would not know. But we're two geniuses in the room. And when they counted our class, he had only one vote. <laughs> it was so obvious that one of the geniuses didn't vote for him. <laughs> so they assembled all of us. And said, I will refuse to vote for Apia. And I said, me? Do you think upon all this campaign, I will refuse to vote for Apia? And up to tomorrow, they believe I was the one who voted. <laughs> Wisdom God gave me for something better. I was using it for evil. So spiritual gift will be accounted. We are going to stand before God. And what did you use it for? Natural gift, what did you use it for? The third thing I want to bring out is our resources, money, our treasure. By the grace of God, some people are richer than others. Either you like it or not, some people will be richer than you. <laughs> and probably you too will be richer than others. In the economy and the society where we found ourselves, a lot of people begin to think that this money is mine. This resource is mine. In First Corinthians, sorry, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, verse 17 to 19, Paul told Timothy that tell those who are rich in this world, not to place their trust in the earthly riches that is passing, but they should place their trust in the eternal God who provides everything for our enjoyment. So, every resource you've ever acquired, Bible is saying that it is not yours. In Hagar chapter 2, verse 8, Bible says, Silver and gold belong to me. So, he owns the money in your pocket. So before you even spend the money, you need to be consulted. After all, at the end of your life, you will really ask you what you use that money for. It is your salary, but it is his money. It is your wages, but it is his money. Hallelujah. So what I'm up to is that growth come by getting every Christian to cultivate the mentality that whatever is in my possession, my life and what I have is not mine, but I'm going to keep it. And if we are to develop this attitude, then there is a lot of things that is required from us. Every manager, one key thing everybody is looking for is somebody that is faithful. Somebody that is faithful. In fact, there is a very interesting story in Luke chapter 16 from verse 1. Speaking about a manager who the master suspected some false dealing. So he asked him to come and give account because he's going to sack him. And the manager thought that, hey, I am not strong enough to dig. And those who are not strong enough to dig, 
they have to beg on the roadside. But I've been a manager. I'm too ashamed to beg. <laughs> but he said, I know what I will do. He said, so you called those who were owing his master. And instead of demanding a full payment, he divided into half. So that when his position is lost, he can go back and they will receive him. And when the master heard this, he commanded the manager from being wise, from being stream. So being a manager of another man's property, God, demands wisdom. If you are not wise, you will spend it foolishly. And when the thing is gone, that is why you realize that I've been a fool. But when you are wise, then you can manage the thing well. Hallelujah. Number two, it from the same passage. From verse 9 to 11, it says that he who is faithful in little things shall also be faithful with great things. And if you are dishonest in a very little thing, then you will be dishonest in greater things. How you spend one city today it, it determines how you spend a million Ghana CD. If you can be faithful with one CD, then even if they entrust the whole riches on earth to you, you still be dishonest. Then say, if you are not faithful in another man's property, then how can you be faithful if it is your own property? The time you report to work because you are a government teacher. The private school you are operating, if your teachers report that way, will you be happy? The time you report to the work is government. If your workers, you started a side business, if they reported that same time, will you be happy? You demand full commitment and faithfulness to your work. But the one where you are also employed, you are not being faithful. And the Bible is saying that, if you are not faithful in another man's property, where will you get your own thing? And he said that if you are not faithful in handling this earthly money, mama, then how will you be faithful in handling the true riches? So what we have now is the tutorials of what we are going to get eternally. So if you are not faithful in handling Ghana cities, then when you go to heaven, the goal, you smuggle some out back to the earth yourself to know. <laughs> so what we have today is the test of what we are going to be tomorrow. So ever steward wisdom, ever steward faithfulness, ever steward commitment, put yourself to the task. So as Christians today, we need to grow to distinguish between what am I in Christ and what I have with earthly riches? And to begin to know that God is the central ruler in whatever we are doing. So in everything, we should let him have the supremacy. In fact, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says that he is the visible image of the invisible God. And he said that through him all things were created. Whether thrones, principalities, dominion, powers. He said that they were created by him and they were created for him. It's one thing being created by him. 
is another thing being created for him. So whatever we have today, it was created by Christ and it was created for Christ. So from today, it is my prayer that as I'm struggling, it will become your prayer too. That God will find you faithful. I want to end on still also with this story that we all know. That somebody, a rich man, wanted to travel and he called three of his servants. And to the first one, he gave five talents. And Bible said he went immediately, he worked, and he got five more. Then he called the second one and gave him two talents. And he went and put it at work immediately and he got two more, making four. Then he called the last one and he gave him one talent. And Bible stated that he gave to each and everyone according to their ability. He didn't give one talent because he hated that person. Because he knew that that is what he can manage. Luke chapter 12 verse 47 and 48 says that. To whom much is given, much will be expected. The master, the servant who knows his master's will and refuse to do it, you will beat him with many blows. But the servant who do not know his master's will and do not do, you will beat him but with few blows. So everyone said, God has given each and everyone. In stewardship, there are two, two big extremes you can fall to. One are those who compare themselves to others and they feel not gifted they despise themselves. They feel they are nothing. Therefore, they have nothing to offer. No. Then another extreme are those who became proud because of what God gave them. And they are now ruling their attempts on behalf of God as God. So those who grow to say there is no God, they have actually succeeded causing coup d'etat in their life for God. So they will be God for themselves. And by so doing, they escape. But in the stewardship, at the end of it, either you'll be rewarded or you'll be punished. So when the master came back in the parable, he called the first one and said, you gave me five. I've worked and I've gotten five more. And the master said, thou good and faithful servant. Then the second one came and said, you gave me two. I've worked and two more. The fact that this one worked, he gained two more. It was not even up to the starting capital of the one with five. But the master still gave him the same applause. But the last one came. I said, I know you. <laughs> you are a wicked man. You want to harvest where you have not planted. And because of who you are, I went and I kept it secret. And you have come. He did well to preserve the same talent. He didn't mistake it. He didn't destroy it. He, didn't, he brought it back. And the master said, wicked servant. If you know, why do you put it among the money's changes? So that if I come, I will get profit. Because of the casting into outer darkness, where there will be nothing of this. It means that what God gave you, that is not what he's expecting. He gave you the gift and the ability to multiply it. So the teaching ministry, the evangelistic ministry, the apostolic ministry, the singing ministry, the ability to make wealth, your leadership grace. How have you multiplied it? 
if you should come today, will you be casted into outer darkness or you will be called that good and faithful servant? You'll be the right person to answer. And at that day, there'll be a lot of rewards for those who have managed well. Bible spoke of different gifts. In fact, Revelation 2.10 mentions the crown of life. Bible spoke of different things. So when he comes, what are we? Are we going to hear that good and faithful servant? Or we are going to hear, get beside me. You, you, you wicked and you are cast to outer darkness. But it's my prayer that when he comes, we will all be called that good and faithful servant. Amen. So I want us to move to the ninth growth pillar. And that is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. So if we look at stewardship, we are moving to spiritual warfare. When you measure spiritual warfare, depending on the platform where you are, either you'll be held as a king or you'll be stoned. <laughs> and the misconception is because of the long misuse and the abuse in the system. So in trying to teach on spiritual warfare, I want to distinguish two basic extremes that a Christian should not fall into. The first extreme is what is normally parading around as spiritual warfare in the name of casting out demons. Some, I don't know how true it is. I heard a story about a man of God who asked people to come and sow into their life according to their problems. So somebody came and the man of God said, I can see a hawk on top of your head. So sow a seed so that the bed will go. Then the, the poor servant Christian brought ten cities for the man of God. And he said, you don't know. The other time I saw frog in somebody's life, he gave one million. You, you are a hawk. You are giving thanks. <laughs> so, in the name of spiritual warfare, people are killing Satan, using catalysis to cut him into pieces. I even read a story. Somebody said he went to hell and he killed the devil. <laughs> so, stop praying about the devil. Somebody is gone. <laughs> so, because of those extreme, some people, they are not against it. But in their heart, they are neither for it. The other extreme is so spiritual people who think that because of what Jesus did, we don't need any spiritual warfare. It is done. But today, we want to strike the balance. The fact that it is misused does not mean we should bring non-use as an answer. If Ghana is having counterfeit, the government will not stop printing notes and withdraw money at all and say because there is counterfeit. Rather, they will put barriers in place where we can get what is right from what is wrong. So the fact that it is being misused doesn't mean we should run away from it. Let's look at what it is. So number one, what is spiritual warfare? What is spiritual warfare? In defining spiritual warfare, I want to go on levels for our understanding. Spiritual warfare, first of all, is the battle between sin and righteousness. 
the battle between sin and righteousness in people's life. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, 15 and 16, Bible is saying that the flesh is against the body, the spirit. And the spirit is against the flesh. So the two are opposing each other. Therefore, if you live by the spirit, you will not gratify the work of the sinful nature. So he's calling us to live by the spirit because the spirit is fighting the flesh. And the flesh is fighting the spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5 to 7, it says that those who live by the flesh set their mind on the things that please the flesh. And those who live by the spirit set their mind on the things that please the spirit. And he said, to be carnally minded is death. To be thinking about natural things, evil things, Bible is saying that is death. So when you are born again, an unbeliever doesn't struggle because he's already for party A. So all his life, he lives in sin. When he gets a girl, a scholarship. If he gets a bribe, hooray. If he gets evil promotion, who cares? But a believer, now that you are born again, your conscience is alive. So the power of the sinful nature and the righteousness given to you in Christ, they are fighting. So in First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter counsels us that as aliens and as strangers on earth, we should desist from the sinful desire that war against our soul. So there is sinful desire in us that is fighting against our spirit, against our salvation. In James chapter 1, verse 21, he said, take away all kind of wickedness and overflow of impurity and receive with meekness the engrafted word of God which is able to save your soul. So every believer put it well in Romans chapter 7. Is that the evil that I hate, that is what I found myself doing. But the good that I want to do, that is what I cannot do. But if I sin, it is not me. It is the sin that is living in me. And who saves a wretched person like me? Thanks be to God. So, Right now, when somebody insulted you, you have the opportunity to forgive because you are a Christian. You don't have opportunity to retaliate. Before you think of forgiveness, you've dressed the person well, 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 well. I remember I went for evangelism at Pentagon. And one of the porters suspected me to be a thief. And I couldn't imagine somebody could look at me and say, I'm a thief. Unfortunately for me, I was with a bag and there were two keys of my room inside the key. So he started searching my bag. When he saw two keys, he has gotten evidence. <laughs> and the guy told me that you are a thief. And I told him I'm not a thief. And I said, if you search this bag and at the end, I'm not a thief, you will see. 
remember then I was really angry and I forgotten whom I am. And the guy told me that if he search and I'm not a thief, what will I do? That is the question. What will I do? He searched. <laughs> We're all going to call the police because of that. The thing became so hot that at the middle of the argument, that I realized that I came and I told him I'm an evangelist going to see souls. And this is the evangelist now fighting with the porter. The thing too has become so aggravated that it was too much to withdraw the fight. <laughs> then people came. They said, stop, stop, stop. And I understood. So I left as if I'm humble. But my conscience was strong. <laughs> so there is a force between the righteousness and evil. And a believer constantly fighting to subject the flesh to what God wants is a spiritual warfare. Hallelujah. The second level of spiritual warfare I want to bring out is the battle between the world and the church. The battle between the world and the church. In Roman, sorry, Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 Jesus Christ said that and I will build my church and the gate of hell will not prevail against it. So the church today is fighting, is battling between dominance in the world and the world is fighting to push the world itself into the church. So the two are actually fighting for who wins? Who wins? And let's ask ourselves, Ghana, the battle between the church and the world. Who is winning? What is controlling our music industry? Is it the church or the world? What is controlling our health system? Is it the church or the world? What is controlling our political system? Is it the church or the world? So the two are fighting for the one that will win. And Jesus said, I will plant my church. I will build my church. And the gate of hell will not prevail against it. The promise is there. But it's a battle. So Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, that we should not love the world, nor anything in the world. For whatever is in the world, the desire, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the desire of knowledge, it doesn't come from God. Is it the world and whatever it is is passing away? So we are commanded not to desire the world. And in James chapter four verse four, is it anyone who loves the world chose to become an enemy of God? If you love the world, then you are not an enemy of God. Hallelujah. The, the Reverend Jeff came and gave this example that you are. In the neighborhood, and there's this neighbor who doesn't like you at all. Every day, the neighbor will come and insult you, pour water on you, and everything. Then your wife gave birth, and everybody is saying, Hey, this child is looking like your neighbor. <laughs> this child is looking like your, like your neighbor. Imagine we all go to heaven and we appear before God. And the people who are there are all looking like Satan. God's enemy. <laughs> we are looking like him. So there is a fight between the church and the world. It's another stage of spiritual warfare. The third stage of spiritual warfare 
is between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. Not just the church, but the whole kingdom of Satan and then the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, that if Satan fight against Satan, then how can his kingdom stand? It means that he has a kingdom, organized kingdom, that he's fighting. But believers too, we also have a kingdom. We have come to the kingdom of God. And as we are speaking, in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, Bible said, if our gospel is in vain, it's in vain to those who are perishing. Because the God of this age, the God of this age, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. So there is something called the God of this age. In First John chapter 5, verse 19, it said, we know that we are the children of God, but the whole world is under the control of the evil one. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, Bible said the scripture declare that the world is a prison of sin. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus Christ said, you are of your father the devil. And you want to carry out the works of your father. He's a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth. If he speak lie, he's speaking his native language. So anytime you've told you've ever told a lie in your life, you were speaking a third language different from English and your mother tongue. So once Satan, if you go to America, then you are walking, you hear somebody speaking tree. You don't need to create a rapport. The main father is speaking tree, he's likely to come from Ghana. You get the person and you are friends. So once Satan is passing by and hear you lying, you are from his country. <laughs> Hallelujah. So it's a battle. What was a spiritual warfare? It's a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Number three, four. What was a spiritual warfare? It's a battle between the angels of God and then the angels of Satan. The demonic angels. So right from Revelation chapter 12, Bible says that from verse 7, war broke up in heaven. Michael and his angel fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angel fought back. And because they were, they were not strong, there was no place found for them in heaven. So there is a war between good angels and bad angels. So when we say spiritual warfare, it is difficult to define what exactly it is. Unless you specify the level at which you are talking about. But in general, the spiritual is a battle between evil and good. It's a battle between sin and righteousness. It's a battle between the church and the world. It's a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, from verse 13 says that these people are false apostles. Pretending to be true apostles. And no wonder Satan himself pretended to be an angel of light. The interesting thing is that if Satan has come and he came with two horns, a close stain with blood, red teeth, long claws, everybody will know that this is Satan. Nobody will go closer. But Satan can come in see white one. <laughs> 
as if everything is alright. I read an article some time ago. And the title was, If I Were the Devil. And the man was arguing that if he was to be the devil, what he would do is that, the first thing he would do is to deny his own existence. If he succeeds denying his own existence, if there's a thief here, and you, everybody knows that this is a thief, it becomes difficult for the thief to operate, because everybody is careful about their property, and if something is lost, the first point of contact is that person. So if I'm a thief, the last I, I want to do is to let you know that I'm a thief. So I want to pretend as if I'm the angel among you. Bring your gold and keep it for safety. <laughs> so Satan is also working like that. So there is a battle between that. So spiritual warfare in summary is developing Jesus' attitude towards handling evil and Satan. In summary of all what we have said, developing Jesus' attitude with, from the beginning that he established that the goal of every spiritual good is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, Bible says he is the author and finisher of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, it says we to fix our thoughts on Christ. So, everything about Christianity is pointing to Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. It said, those God for new, to them he predestined that they should conform to the image of his son, that the son will be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he for new, to them he called. And those he called, to them he justified. Those he justified, to them he glorified. So, every definition of Christian act is Christ. So spiritual warfare is developing Jesus' attitude in handling evil. You can handle Satan lightly and be in trouble. You can also give all your concentration to Satan and you are in trouble. I remember somebody came to me with a dream, a lady, a woman. And she was expecting that by the end of the dream, I'm going to say, let's pray fire as he finished the dream. And I said, ah, but what showed that this dream is bad in the first place? You dream A, B. So what is bad about this? Then he left me. He went and reported me to another person that he told me the dream. I didn't even pray with him. <laughs> so, if you don't have Jesus' attitude towards handling Satan and demon, you can go overboard. Now let's go back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, Bible says about that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So there was a prophecy that the seed of the woman, unfortunately for us, Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says that at the fullness of time, God sent his son to be born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus came as the seed of the woman to crush the head of Satan. Balaam prophesied about him in Numbers chapter 24 verse 17. He said, I see him, but not now. I see him, but far away. A star is coming from Jacob and he will crush the forehead of Moab. So prophecies about Jesus Christ. That he is coming to handle. So throughout the Old Testament, nobody ever cast out evil spirits. 
the closer was David and Samuel. And with that, it goes and come. It goes and come. So, Isaiah prophesied about him. In Isaiah chapter 61, from verse 1 to 3. That the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. To set at liberty those who are taken captive by Satan. To open the eyes of the blind man. And to declare the year of the Lord's. So he prophesied that about Jesus. So when Jesus came down, Bible said he went to the temple, took and opened the scroll of Isaiah. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And he read these words. And he told them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your life. So Jesus came as the fulfillment. Somebody sent to handle Satan the way he should be handled. Hallelujah. So he came to handle Satan the way he should be handled. Therefore, spiritual warfare is handling Satan the way Jesus handled him. Thinking about Satan the way Jesus thought about him. Dealing with Satan the way Jesus dealt with him. So when he came, in Mark chapter 1 from verse 23, he went to the temple. And there somebody was having evil spirit. And began shouting in the temple. They were worshipping. But somebody was having an evil spirit. Sitting there. And as Jesus was speaking. The person said, we know whom you are. You are the son of David. What have you come to do among us? And Jesus commanded the evil spirit. People were amazed. That who is this man? That he has authority to cast out evil spirit. That was something peculiar about Jesus' ministry. That no one in the past has ever done. So, deliverance is not a thing of the old. It's for the New Testament Christian under the covenant of Christ. Hallelujah. So, spiritual warfare, the Old Testament people cannot talk about it because they could not handle Satan. In fact, if Job had knew that it was Satan doing all what he was doing, he would not blame God. Today, if evil is happening, the first complaint will be Satan before God will come. But in the Old Testament, if something is happening, it's God first. So they want to prove to him that either you are a sinner, that's why it has happened to you. And Job want to prove that I'm innocent. They didn't know that the real person was Satan. But now, we know him better. Hallelujah. And we can handle him the way Jesus handled him. So in summarizing the whole ministry of Jesus, in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, Peter said, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good. And he was setting all who were under the oppression of the enemy free because God was with him. So he moved from synagogue to synagogue. He moved from place to place, casting out demons. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 32, they brought to him somebody who was having a demon. And because of that, he was mute. He cast Command the evil spirit and the person was healed. In Matthew 12, 22, somebody was down and blind. But when Jesus cast out the evil spirit, the person was healed. In Luke chapter 13, verse 11, somebody for 18 years was bounded by the spirit of infirmity and could not be lifted up. But when Jesus came, he commanded the evil spirit and was gone. A lot of people today, from their character to their success, to their spiritual ability 
is all being they are not to do they are not able to do what they're supposed to do probably because they need to handle spiritual warfare well so somebody who serve as a model is jesus then learning from him we notice that he didn't just come to be a lone demon caster <laughs> and everywhere all the demons are coming in matthew chapter 10 verse 1 and 2 he called to himself his disciple whom he sent two by two and he gave them power and authority to cast out evil spirit to heal all manner of disease and sickness so jesus trained 12 people to do the thing he was doing in fact in luke chapter 9 the disciple came to jesus and said we saw somebody casting out demons and because it's not from us we asked him to stop and jesus told them anyone who is not with me is anyone who is with me is not against me if somebody casts out evil he can at once say he, he doesn't belong to christ so jesus doesn't get envious when plenty of people are casting out demons with his name hallelujah because he wondered then after the 12 from luke chapter 10 he called the 72 he sent them two by two from verse 17 they came back to report that hey jesus evil spirits submitted to us in your name and jesus told them that i saw satan falling like lightning but i've given you power and authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and to overcome every power of the enemy and nothing 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 shall hurt you so the believer is arm enough to handle so first to the 12 second to the 72 then when he was leaving in mark chapter 16 verse 15 and 16 15 to 18 he said that go and witness to every creature those who believe and are baptized will be saved but those who do not believe shall be condemned and he said these signs shall follow those who believe and he said in my name they will cast out evil spirit in my name they will cast out evil spirit in my name they will cast out evil spirit in my name in my name they will cast out evil spirit so jesus prepare a believer enough that this sign shall follow you and one of the signs that will follow you is that in my name you will cast out evil spirit hallelujah then the new testament church pick it not only the 12 and the 72 and the one guy the apostles asked them to stop but also the people he trained and the new testament church pick it up in fact one amazing thing is Acts chapter 5 verse 14 and 15 peter was moving and they will bring people who are sick and have evil spirit so that his shadow will pass over them and as many that the shadow passed over where he and evil spirit left apostle not his hand his shadow touched those with evil spirit and they were and apostle paul in Acts chapter 19 verse 11 and 12 handkerchiefs and aprons taken away from him go and somebody you can imagine 
they carry the man, the man of God handkerchief. Not in today's sense, where it's another thing. Hallelujah. But they took the man, man of God handkerchief and apron. And the people who were carrying it didn't fall under the anointing. But they placed it on the evil spirit. And by the reason of the anointing, the handkerchief knows the one that is not sick from the one that is sick. That if it touches the one that is sick, the person should be healed and the evil spirit go. So that is the Apostle Paul, the one we read most. So if you read Apostle Paul's letter and you believe you can be born again, you believe you can speak in town, you believe you can preach, you believe you are an ambassador of Christ, and you don't believe in believers casting out demons and dealing with Satan, then you are betraying his letters. Hallelujah. So from there, every believer should develop Jesus' attitude towards demons. Amen. I want to end on the weapons of our warfare. Now we know spiritual warfare. We've seen how Jesus handled evil spirit. What do we use to fight? And this is where a lot of abuse and error have entered into the system. Somebody, the other time I was sharing how I got my fair share when somebody prayed with me and what they were saying. People now use salt, you buff salt. You, one lady was narrating to me how she suffered. A supposed prophet asked him, asked her to put salt in the water and add oil to it. So imagine buffing salt and oil. More grace. <laughs> Hallelujah. So what do we use to fight? There was a time in Israel that we were going to fight against their enemies. But none of them had a sword except Saul and his son Jonathan. And obviously, they failed. So if we are fighting, we are in the war, what do we use to fight? Number one, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. In John chapter 17 from verse 11, Jesus prayed and said that, Whilst I was in the earth, I protected them by the name you gave me. So he protected them by a name. And in Philippians chapter 2, we know you from verse 8 to 11. He said, therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and has given him a name that is above any other name. That at the mention of the name Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that he is Christ to the glory of the Lord. So Jesus' name is a great weapon. And we saw in the Mark 16 that those who believe these signs are followed. In my name, you will cast out demons. The second weapon is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of Jesus signifies his perpetual defeat over Satan forever and ever. Number three is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. In Isaiah chapter 59 verse 19, Bible says from the west, men shall reverse his name. 
and from the rising of the sun, they shall fear him. For if the enemy come like the flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift a devil standard. So God's spirit is a fighting spirit. Number four is the word of God. The word of God. We've noticed from the first presentation the other day that Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15 calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. And in Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 29 say that it's my word not like hammer and it's my word not like fire. So God's word according to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 he said the word is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. So his word is a great weapon that when we use it we get success. Hallelujah. Number five is praise and worship. As a believer fighting, there is a weapon that most of us might not be utilizing it. That is praise and worship. Praise and worship brings down God's presence that the main father God is there means that Satan cannot be there. The, one of the classic examples is even in the Old Testament about King Joseph. In Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 1 and 2 says that about all the good he has done the Moabites and the people of Ammon and the people of Monsey all rallied together to come and fight Joseph. Great army. When Joseph combined all his people, there is no way a thinking king will go with this army to go and fight. And the prophet came to strengthen them. Then from verse 20 to 23, once they were going, Joseph said, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. And believe in his prophet and you shall prosper. And Bible said he consulted with the captains and they set men who can sing. And as they began to sing and praise the Lord in the beauty of his holiness, that you are good and your mercies endures forever. The interesting thing is that Bible said the Lord set an ambush against them. That the people, the Ammon and the, the Ammon and the Mobile begin to fight against each other. And by the time they finished, they helped each other slaughter the rest. By the time the people went there, they were only to strip the dead. Hallelujah. So in the time of praises and worship, it's not a vain thing. It's the powerful weapon. Hallelujah. Then the next one is what? Ephesians chapter 6, sorry. Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 all the way to 18. Calls the armor of God. The armor of God. Interestingly, it is called the armor of God. Every soldier need, needs an armor in order to fight. And Bible describes what the armor is. If it was be an armor of man, then we can worry. Because men want armor went to war, and they were defeated. Christ's example is King Ahab in First Kings chapter 22. He disguised himself and entered into the battle. 
Then a young girl shot a bow at random. And Bible said it entered into the section of his armor and he died. So the armor of God, you can prevail. But this is the armor of God. And it starts describing from the belt of truth that the truth in Christianity put away every lie. Jesus said, you know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So we have come to the God that is called the true God. The main father, you know the truth, separates you from every lie. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 Paul said, I hope to come to you, but if I delay, you know how men ought to conduct themselves in the church who is the pillar and ground of truth. So the church has the truth. The spirit is the truth. The word is the truth. So when you have the truth, there are some battles you don't fight. I had a friend who went for missions and came back. And when they were sleeping in the same room, he slept, I slept late. He woke me up at the middle of the night. And if not because I really trust my friend, I wouldn't have believed a story like that. He said, when he was there, a spirit being short as this came into the room. Not it was a not a dream, not a vision like he can see. And the spirit was moving from one door to the other. And the spirit was telling my friend that he should come. And he, the spirit, will anoint him and use it to fight me. And I was sleeping. And he wanted to tell the spirit that, oh, this man is not my friend. He's my brother. I can't do that. But he couldn't open his mouth. The spirit was doing to and fro and finally left. Then he came to his senses. He woke me up. When he said that thing, I lay down again and slept. You know why? I was sleeping. If you want to kill me, I don't know. I'll just woke up dead. Just come and strike me and I'm dead. The main fact that he's negotiating with my friend to get me means that the blood of Jesus I'm covered. <laughs> I don't need to fight. So there are some truth, some prayer topics. You drop them and pray for something better. Then he moved on to say the belt, no, the, the, the feet in readiness of the gospel. Every fighter needs a shoe. Because you don't fight in a room like this. You fight in a forest. You want to be able to run. So taking the gospel means that you are taking the battle to the gate of the enemy. You are winning so in readiness of the gospel. Then he mentioned the breadplate of righteousness. Knowing the righteousness that God gave us in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. He said that he made him who knew no sin to become a sin that we should become the righteousness of God. Then no evil conscience can plague you anymore. Then he said the helmet of salvation. So that we will be able to withstand the firing dust. So thoughts interjection in, of the evil spirit can paralyze us that we can't really think. Our mind is polluted and captured from enemy and we are gone. You remember Judas? In John chapter 13 verse 2 Bible says Satan put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And in verse 26 he said, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So evil 
suggest and count. And after a while, the thought becomes stronger, stronger. Until energy is given to your body to execute what the thought is commanding you to do. But when the salvation, the helmet of salvation in Christ itself is a protected armor that when the thought comes, they will hit it clean and go back. Hallelujah. So he described to the end. So it's an armor that we need to. So Jesus' work on the cross will be in vain if believers do not take up spiritual warfare proper. And you can't say you have grown well if you can fight because when they are fighting in those days they don't include women and children in Israel if you are not up to 20 years you don't go for battle if you are not up to 30 years you don't serve as a priest so it means that they were not given fight for children they were given it to the mature people in fact in Judges chapter 8 verse 21 and 20 and 21 Jephthah the son of Gideon they brought the kings and Gideon asked Jetta to kill them. And Bible said, Jetta could not lift his armor, his sword, because he was a youth. So, you, you are not fighting. It means you are not growing. The more you grow, the more you can handle Satan the way Jesus handled him. Amen. Shortly, the last thing I want to touch about tonight, then we'll close because of a time, is ministry preparation. Ministry preparation. Ministry preparation. You can say you are growing as a Christian if you do not reach a point where you discover your ministry and you know what exactly God called you to do. In Israel, if you are not from the tribe of Judah, you can become a king. It was out of rebellion that Jeroboam set up a kingdom and we know how it ended and the division came. Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 He gained kingship to Judah. The, then the priesthood was given to the Levi. If you are not from Aaron's lineage you can become a priest. King Hosea in Second uh, Chronicles 26 was a king. But he entered into the tabernacle to offer incense. And immediately, leprosy broke up. Because he was doing what God did not want him to do. A lot of people are working. But the fact is that what you are doing, is that what God wants you to do? If you can live on earth and die without finding what God wants you to do, then... It is better if you have not live. A lot of Christians console themselves. I'm a doctor, therefore I am serving God. Hold it. Nigeria will say, hold it. A Muslim can also be a doctor. A Buddhist can be a doctor. Atheist can be a doctor. What is the difference between you be a Christian doctor and a Muslim doctor? A, an unbeliever can be a police officer. You are a police officer. He can be a minister. So those possessing themselves doesn't necessarily mean that you are fulfilling God's call upon your life. Not at all. So the question is, what is ministry in general? Ministry is from the Greek word diakonia. 
And it means service. It means service. Serving God in accordance to your giftings and calling area. So you are called to serve God in a proper way. So by age 12, Jesus told his mother, that don't you know I must go about my father's business? As at age 12, he was able to recognize that his father is having a business and that is what he must go about. Then continuing, he said in John chapter 4, verse 34, his disciple went and brought food. And they came and Jesus was talking to preach him. And the disciples were urging him to eat. And he told them, I have food to eat that you guys are not aware of. And he said, ah, could it be that somebody brought him food? And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish. Then in John chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. Jesus said, I must do the work of him who sent me. While it is day. For night is coming where no one can work. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10. He said he came to seek and to find that which was lost. In 1 John 3 5. He said he appeared to take away our sin. And in him there was no sin. So Jesus came with a clear purpose of what God wants him to do. The time he should do it. And how he should do it. So he knew exactly opportunities he should take. And the opportunities he should not take. One time, in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he went out to pray, and plenty of people came. They want to listen and to be healed of their disease. No preacher will go to town, and people want to hear, they are coming to you, and you want to give them excuse. But Jesus said, let us go to other towns and places, so that I will preach that place, for that is why I was sent. So he had ministry opportunity, but he knew where God wanted him to be. Then in John chapter 6, verse 15, after Jesus performed the miracle, the people said in their heart that they want to come and make, make him a king. That means that if he can make a king, he has every opportunity to do what? But I would say, Jesus knew because they want to make him a king, he went away. So after born again, the next thing every Christian can do to help themselves is to find out what God sent them to do. And once that is identified, then you made it right. The day you got born again, God will have taken you to heaven. But He allowed you to live because there is work to do. And you must find out the way God wants you to do it and how to do it. And that's so at the end of Jesus' life, He could tell that Father. In John chapter 17 verse 4, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me. Every family seated here is giving a work. Every woman, man seated here is giving a work. Everybody is called to do something. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. It said, tell Archippus that he should do Philippines the ministry Christ has given him. So today, I'm also telling you that you should finish what God gave you. So, church, the hope is that if we take these pillars, we build our life on it, we don't allow them to be destroyed. They prepare us to grow, 
to mature, then we can finish well. Then when we go to heaven, God will tell us, thy good and faithful servant. Thank you. Shall we pray? I want you in a minute to just speak to the Lord. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 5, from verse 11 to 14, that we have a lot of this to tell, but it's hard to explain because you are dull in your understanding. And said, even though by now we ought to be teachers, but we need someone to take us through the elementary teachings of Christ again. We need milk, not solid food. And anyone living on milk is not acquainted with the teachings of righteousness. But the solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained their senses to distinguish good from evil. Then you continue in chapter 6 that therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying against repentance from dead work and of faith towards God. Not laying again doctrine on baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And Bible says, and God willing, this we shall do. Not to pray for grace. That God will lift us to another level of our spiritual growth. That we will grow past you stage. We will grow and mature. That we can reproduce. That we can expand the kingdom of God. That we will no longer think like children do. In our day to day. And as members of the church. God will come and meet people. That have been transformed to the very image of Christ. No more those arguing about things that should not be. Pray and speak to the Lord. And Father, in the name of Jesus, you will call us is faithful. And you will keep us to the day of your coming. Lord, we commit ourselves, our thoughts, our spirit, our soul, and as a church, that you will grant us grace, that we will mature and reproduce people like Christ in the world. That wherever we be, at our work, in our family, will be light of the world salt of the earth aroma of Christ ambassadors of Christ wherever we are Lord equip us that we can do your will in Jesus name Amen Follow JFK Mensa Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast you can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.